as though history is being collapsed into a black hole and everything is happening faster than the speed of light. Jesus, no kidding. No kidding. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Speed of light. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM people-powered radio in L.A. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast at 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on the great AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the intertubes as we are, as we do every day. On the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Fine affiliates all blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around still swell fellow. Says you. Correct. From bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here today. Uh, And thank you, Desi Doyen, our producer, for being here today as well. (laughs) Greatly appreciated. Well, I say you're nice sometimes, too. You're pretty swell. Nobody believes you. I'll just throw that in. Nobody believes you. Just for the record. Anyway, uh, Democrats uh, standing up for themselves, really? Using Senate rules today to show some resistance? Impossible. Well, maybe not. We see some uh, glimmers, glimmers still of uh, resistance from Senate Democrats. Glimmers at best. Maybe. Uh, That's coming up shortly. But first, we got a lot to get to today. You know, we often joke... Uh, Des, if if that's the right word here, about the huge cost of of destruction and the growing death tolls here in the U.S. and elsewhere from climate change fueled extreme weather. Yep. Which is rapidly increasing along with global warming and climate change. Uh, Just over a week ago, for instance, uh, I guess the weekend before uh, time is like Lawrence Tribe said in that opening quote, time is collapsing into a black hole. So (laughs) I've lost track of time, but I think it was the weekend before last. There were 20 killed. Yes. In Georgia and Mississippi as a swarm of. Uh, unusual January tornadoes erupted and and blew through the uh, through the southeast U.S. I think it was about forty tornadoes in that uh, in that. Swarm, you know, I didn't ever I see the final yeah. count, but that sounds like that was about right. The estimate at the time. This uh, this constant ratcheting up of global warming fed extreme weather continues uh, to lead to untold tragedies. Uh, and disasters like the one we saw a week ago with 20 with 20 Americans killed. I commented at the time that it's a good thing those deaths weren't caused by terrorism, but by climate change. Otherwise, we'd actually have to try to do something about it. Right. 
Death by climate change, which is a far greater threat to everyday Americans than terrorism, is something uh, apparently to be ignored. We can just completely ignore that. 20 Americans killed. Thankfully, it was only by climate change related weather. So we, we can ignore it. We can even deny it. Uh, and we can even make it worse and exacerbate the problem the way the uh, new Republican uh, Trump policies are doing. They are enacting policies to that will increase global warming bigly ever since uh, Donald Trump took office. And as the GOP continues to exercise their muscle in Congress to roll back regulations that both helped to keep us safe and help to curb the pace of climate change. But no matter how many die. No matter how many billions of dollars it costs this country, no matter how much it costs these pretend conservatives who say they're concerned about government spending, no matter how expensive it gets in blood and in treasure, it's not terrorism, so we can completely ignore it. That seems to be the thinking here. And uh, happily, I guess, we can also ignore mass shootings at places of worship. So long as those places of worship are not white Christian uh, places of worship or Jewish synagogue places of worship, we don't have to change any national policies to deal with that. We can, by and large, completely ignore that no matter how often they happen, no matter how many people are killed. We can completely ignore it as a nation, apparently because that's what we do. We didn't put in new restrictive policies in place against uh, white nationalists after one of them shot up a black church in South Carolina just over a year ago. I guess we well, we took down some flags. Is that what is that was our response? Right. We took down the, the Confederate flag. That was that was that was a tragedy. It was carried out by a lone wolf. So it was not an emergency, not a national emergency. Same thing happened then when a, a white anti-choice activist shot up a Planned Parenthood facility in Colorado just over a year ago. The response from our national political leaders? Kill funding to Planned Parenthood. That's how we dealt with it. Make things more difficult. Make things harder for Planned Parenthood uh, uh, to survive being shot up by these uh, anti-choice activists. So I guess nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. We don't have to take any action on those things at all. And happily, I guess, another tragedy took place over the weekend up in Canada's, Canada's Quebec City. I say happily because those six people were killed, six worshippers were killed, and, and many more injured during the religious service. We don't have to do anything about it, apparently. Nothing needs to be done. The French-Canadian university student charged with killing six Muslim men during evening prayers at a mosque over the weekend was known for extremist national views and his support of the French rightist party led by Marine Le Pen. Alexander Bissonnet uh, was charged Monday with six counts of first-degree murder and five counts of attempted murder over the shooting rampage at a Quebec City mosque that Canada's prime minister called an act of terrorism against Muslims. The 27-year-old suspect who expressed support for Le Pen and for U.S. President Donald Trump on his Facebook page was known to those who monitor extremist groups in Quebec, uh, according to Francois Deschamps, an official with a, a refugee advocacy group. It's with pain and anger that we learn the identity of terrorist Alexander Bissonnette. Unfor uh, unfortunately, 
known to many activists in Quebec for taking uh, nationalist pro-Le Pen and anti-feminist positions at Laval University and on social media, Deschamps wrote on Facebook. Bissonnette had also expressed support on his own Facebook page, on his Facebook profile for Generation Nationale, a group whose manifesto includes the rejection of multiculturalism. More than 50 people were at the Quebec Islamic Cultural Center when the shooting began. Witnesses described a scene of chaos as worshippers scrambled to find friends and loved ones. In addition to the six dead, 19 people were wounded. They were all men. All the uh, all the victims um, of the four victims who remained hospitalized, two are still in critical condition. According to authorities, the dead ranged in age from 39 to 60. Uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Quebec Premier uh, Philippe Coulard both characterized the attack as a terrorist act which came amid strong criticism around the world over Trump's travel ban for people from seven Muslim countries. Trudeau said in uh, Parliament that the victims were targeted simply because of their religion. So that happened over the weekend. You may or may not have heard about it. You may or may because it didn't go wall to wall. The cable uh, uh, channels have not been going wall to wall. Uh, White House spokesman said the attack was, quote, a terrible reminder of why we must remain vigilant and why the president is taking steps to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to our nation's safety and security. I think uh, Sean Spicer said that. Before he actually knew, before the, uh, uh, the, the alleged shooter was identified and his background was identified. I don't know. Uh, this mosque has been a target of hate crimes in the past. Last summer, a pig's head was left on its doorstep during Ramadan. Practicing Muslims do not eat pork. So this was considered to be a, uh, a threat of some type. But uh, six were killed. Six were killed, and uh, there's no, where's the outrage, I guess, is the question. Where's the outrage? Where's the cable uh, coverage? Well, we don't have it because it wasn't a Muslim terrorist, and that's the only one. Those are the only ones, I guess, we, we need to be concerned about. Sean King of New York Daily News tweeted, If Muslims had killed six white Christians in a church, Trump would be obsessed and half of America would change their profile pics to Canadian flags. This is true. But, you know, white supremacists, no worries. No worries, apparently, even when they have infiltrated our law enforcement agencies. According to the the Intercept today, official FBI guidelines acknowledged that white supremacists and white right-wing extremists have infiltrated U.S. law enforcement agencies. This according to a classified 2015 counterterrorism policy guide that was obtained by The Intercept. The guide explains domestic terrorism investigations focused on militia extremists, white supremacist extremists, and sovereign citizen extremists often have identified active links to law enforcement officers. According to the guide... Uh, The FBI has been aware of this infiltration for some time and raised concerns about it in a 2006 internal assessment. Federal agencies, however, have been wary of discussing the issue publicly for some reason. Former Homeland Security uh, Secretary Janet Napolitano 
even disavowed a 2009 intelligence study warning of the, quote, resurgence of far-right extremists sparked by uh, President Barack Obama's election at the time back in 2008. The study, as uh, we've discussed on this show on a number of occasions over the years, was withdrawn. Napolitano actually pulled it back and even offered an apology for it after right-wingers complained about it, even though the study was begun during the Bush administration and it followed a report on left-wing extremism, which apparently still stands because nobody complained about it, I guess. That report in 2009 found that uh, right-wing extremism uh, from homegrown terrorists and white supremacists and so forth was by far the greatest threat faced by the country, faced by law enforcement agencies. Daryl Johnson, the lead researcher on that 2009 DHS report, the one that was withdrawn, uh, he was pushed out of the agency afterwards. He told The Intercept that he was deeply disappointed by the Department of Homeland Security's decision to shrink the unit investigating right-wing extremists after that incident. Federal law enforcement agencies in general, uh, he said, uh, the FBI, the Marshals, the ATF, are aware that extremists have infiltrated state and local enforcement agencies and that there are people in law enforcement agencies that may be sympathetic to these groups. The uh, the memo, I think this is the, uh, the, the 2015 memo, or is this the 2006? I'm not sure. Uh, contained uh, many redactions. I think this was 2006, but noted, quote, ghost skins or individuals who mask their personal beliefs in order to integrate with society while still secretly advancing their ideologies. In at least one case, the FBI learned of a skinhead group encouraging ghost skins to seek employment with law enforcement agencies in order to warn crews of any investigation, The Intercept reports. According to The Intercept, police officers determined to have close ties to uh, uh, determined to have close ties to white supremacists, militia or sovereign citizens groups can end up on the terrorism watch, watch list as, quote, silent hits, which allows the FBI to secretly monitor them, monitor them as they are not publicly identified uh, as known or suspected terrorists in the national crime database that is otherwise accessible to those same uh, law enforcement officials and those law enforcement agencies. Fascinating report. Yeah, that's not chilling at all. But again, well, <laughs> uh, don't be chill. These, uh, well, are, these are white supremacists. These are uh, reactionary uh, uh, right-wingers who tend to vote for people like Donald Trump and uh, shoot up black churches and Muslim mosques. So you have no reason to be alarmed at all, Desi Doyen. Don't be chilled. It's fine. It's fine. No, no, no problems here. Uh, speaking of no problems here, <laughs> at the end of uh, at the end of yesterday's uh, broadcast. We got word from uh, that remarkable announcement from the uh, acting attorney general at the Department of Justice, Sally Yates, uh, saying that she would not uh, she would not have the uh, DOJ defend Donald Trump's Muslim exclusion ban. Is that what it was called? Uh, we had Lena Masri on the show from um, from the. She called it the care. exclusion ban. Uh, the exclusion ban. The Muslim yeah. exclusion right. ban. Right. Religious exclusion ban. Yeah. Um, 
In any event, her letter had announced uh, as we were heading off the air yesterday that uh, as the acting attorney general, it is my ultimate responsibility to determine the position of the Department of Justice in these actions. DOJ civil division lawyers in litigation are charged with advancing reasonable legal arguments that can be made supporting an executive order. My responsibility, she said, is to ensure that the position of the Department of Justice is not only legally defensible, but is informed by our best view of what the law is after consideration of all the facts. At present, she wrote, I am not convinced that the defense of the executive order is consistent with these responsibilities, nor am I convinced that the executive order is lawful. Consequently, for as long as I'm the acting attorney general, the Department of Justice will not present arguments in defense of the executive order unless and until I become convinced that it is appropriate to do so. Government officials are not required, and, and this, you know, this came up in the Nuremberg hearings after World War II. Government officials are not uh, required to carry out an unlawful order. And Sally Yates, who had been the acting attorney general until a few minutes after issuing this letter, said that she was not convinced that this, uh, that this order was lawful and that she could not defend it in court. The, the response was swift. You, I'm sure, may have heard it, about it already uh, from the White House. Uh, they put out a, a very brief statement that sounds like it was written by Donald Trump himself, saying the acting attorney general, Sally Yates, has betrayed the Department of Justice. Mind you, she is not sworn to protect and defend the Department of Justice. She is sworn to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution. Nonetheless, White House says she betrayed the Department of Justice by refusing to enforce the uh, legal order. Ms. Yates is an Obama administration appointee who is weak on borders and very weak on illegal immigration. They said in their statement, tonight, President Trump relieved Ms. Yates of her duties and subsequently named Dana Bente, U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Virginia, to serve as acting attorney general until Senator Jeff Sessions is finally confirmed by the Senate, where he is being wrongfully held up by Democratic. By, no, not by Democratic, wrongfully held up by Democrat senators for strictly political reasons. Really? Is that why he's being held up in the Senate? For strictly political reasons? Well, I wonder what uh, Jeff Sessions would think of, of what Sally Yates did. Uh, actually, I don't wonder. He made it quite clear in 2015 how he thought, at least uh, via some questioning in confirmation hearings, how, how he thought as a U.S. senator that uh, that attorneys general should act when they are given unlawful orders in a video uncovered and posted by Daily Coast user Brain Rap, otherwise known as Charles Gaba. Mark Sumner notes that Donald Trump's attorney general nominee, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions, the third is seen challenging Sally Yates that yes, the same Sally Yates at her 2015 hearing for the post of deputy attorney general, the one that she was in when she was promoted uh, during the transition to acting attorney general. So uh, Senator Sessions, a member of the uh, Judiciary Committee in the U.S. Senate, was asking questions of Sally Yates and throughout the questioning, 
Uh, Sumner notes Yates insists that the attorney general must defend the law and the Constitution and be willing <clears throat> be willing to stand up to anyone, even to the president. What is Sessions concerned about, asks Sumner, that Yates isn't independent enough, according to this uh, 2015 uh, uh, hearing. Sessions clearly views then-Attorney General Loretta Lynch as being too supportive of President Obama and not willing to challenge the president's orders. If I'm going to be doing battle with anybody, I want to make sure I have the law and the facts and the, um, and the president behind me to be able to give a reasoned judgment. And if I'm in a discussion where people have different views, I want to make sure I've got what I need to back up my views. Well, um, you have to watch out because people will be asking you to do things you need, just need to say no about. Do you think the attorney general has a responsibility to say no to the president uh, if he asks for something that's improper? A lot of people have defended the Lynch nomination, for example, by saying, well, he appoints somebody who's going to execute his views. What's wrong with that? But if the views the president wants to execute are unlawful, should the attorney general or the deputy attorney general say no? Uh, Senator, I believe that the attorney general or the deputy attorney general has an obligation to follow the law and the Constitution. So if the views a president wants to ex execute are unlawful, should the attorney general or the deputy attorney general say no? That was Senator Jeff Sessions back in 2015. Senator Jeff Sessions is, of course, now the attorney general nominee uh, for Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who just fired that same woman, Sally Yates, who Senator Sessions was talking to uh, and asking her about uh, whether she should say no to a president who issues an unlawful order. Mark Sumner, Daily Coast, goes on to say at the time this exchange may have seemed like little more than Sessions fishing for something on which he could base either an attack on uh, President Obama or an excuse to vote against Yates. However, in the lights in the light of events over the last week, it is a remarkable exchange. Sessions repeatedly demands a very high degree of independence from the Justice Department and a willingness for the attorney general to stand up for what's legal and constitutional. It's a perfect example, he writes, of why there must be now another hearing for Jeff Sessions so that he can answer questions about how he will handle Trump's aggressive and harmful executive orders before he, Jeff Sessions, can be given the chance at being attorney general. During the hearing, Sessions continued to press Yates on the idea that the attorney general must be willing to stand up to the president. Like any CEO with a law firm, sometimes the lawyers have to tell the CEO, Mr. CEO, you can't do that. Don't do that. We'll get a suit. It's going to be in violation of the law. You'll regret it, please, no matter how headstrong they might be. Do you feel like that's the duty uh, of the attorney general's office? I do believe that that's the duty of the attorney general's office, to fairly and impartially evaluate the law and to provide the president and the administration with impartial legal advice. So Sally Yates was doing exactly what she told Jeff Sessions, now the attorney general nominee, that she would do. It kind of seems like Jeff Sessions ought to be coming forward and standing up for Sally Yates in this matter, but I, I haven't heard him doing that. Is, is, uh, I suspect he's not these? going to. No? I don't know why. Uh, I don't know. 
exactly that kind of independence uh, is, of course, what Yates displayed yesterday with her letter. But that kind of independence that uh, Sessions then demanded, d- demanded has been labeled betrayal by the Trump administration. Sumner calls it the Trump regime, a regime that seems to brook only blind obedience. Sessions even questioned Yates on a subject very, very close to this specific current crisis. Immigration law is important to be consistently and effectively enforced, should it not? I believe that all of our laws should be consistently and effectively enforced and within the confines of the Constitution. Yeah, well, that'll teach her. That'll teach her for having those uh, opinions back in 2015 and then exercising them as the uh, acting U.S. Attorney General in 2017. Uh, In his reply, uh, Sessions, uh, who, who, despite a record level of enforcement, says Sumner, felt that Obama was not following immigration law strictly enough. He tried to back up his position with an unnamed poll saying that immigration enforcement officials had low morale. Really? You worried about low morale, uh, Senator Sessions? Talk about that in a minute. But eventually he wandered back to a poignant conclusion. Now, I remember John Ashcroft is uh, uh, attorney general for Bush, and he's been celebrated for being in. When he was in the hospital, they tried to get him to sign a document uh, that uh, uh, dealt with uh, terrorism that he thought went too far. He refused to do so. So I hope that you feel free to say no uh, uh, in the character of John Ashcroft and others who said no to President Nixon on certain issues. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, she did say no. She did say no, just as uh, in the character of John Ashcroft and others who said no to President Nixon on certain issues, which brings up a whole bunch of interesting points. The, the low morale, the Nixon, the saying uh, saying no. Get to that in a minute. But in any event, Sessions finished his questioning of Yates by directly and bluntly demanding her yes or no answer on the constitutionality of President Obama's executive orders on immigration policy which Sessions clearly felt was uh, was really important. Clearly, he felt that it was in the bounds of what the Senate should ask. No further action should be taken on Sessions' nomination, says Mark Sumner, and I agree, until he is made to appear again before the U.S. Senate, before the Judiciary Committee, before that same committee that he was on, Still is on, by the way, but the same committee that he was on as senator in 2015, and he should be made to answer exactly the same questions that he asked of Sally Yates back in 2015. Will that happen? Will Democrats do that? Will Democrats insist on that? Mm, Well, we'll talk about that and much more after this break, uh, because this all gets much worse. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now.
Cause if you like the way you look that much Oh baby, you should go and love yourself And if you think that I'm still holding on to something You should go and love yourself Yep. Go and love yourself. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. So the uh, Donald Trump administration told Sally Yates to go and love herself. Uh, so to speak. So to speak. Uh, last night after she uh, vowed to stand up for the law, after she vowed to do exactly what Senator Jeff Sessions, now the uh, attorney general nominee, uh, insisted that she should do back during confirmation hearings, back during her confirmation hearings back in 2015. But Sally Yates was not the only one to get moved out uh, last night. President Donald Trump replaced uh, shortly thereafter, replaced the acting director of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE. This was on Monday night, shortly after he fired the acting attorney general. The Department of Homeland Security confirmed Late last night, unlike the firing of acting attorney general Sally Yates, the replacement of acting ICE director Daniel Ragsdale came with no explanation whatsoever. Ragsdale was replaced by Thomas Homan, ICE's executive associate director of enforcement and removal operations uh, since 2013. Homan, a former New York police officer, is a 30-year veteran of immigration enforcement, served as a uh, U.S. Border Patrol agent and deputy assistant director of ICE for investigations before becoming deputy director there, according to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly said in announcing the change that Homan... Uh, the guy who is now uh, leading uh, this effort uh, had led efforts, quote, to identify, arrest, detain and remove illegal aliens. The statement did not make men any mention of Ragsdale and, and why he was removed from the position. An ICE spokesman didn't offer any further explanation uh, when reached early today. Uh, and there was no indication that Ragsdale was being removed from the agency entirely. Uh, like Yates, Ragsdale was promoted to acting director after having served as deputy director of his agency during the Obama administration. So it remains uh, it remains a mystery. But it is all part of um, what is becoming known as the Monday Night Massacre. John Fugel sang our old friend. Uh, he's also now a comedian. He's also now over on Sirius XM, I believe. He uh, he tweeted, congrats on firing Sally Yates, President Trump. Nixon wasn't man enough to fire his attorney general until nine months before he had to resign. Hashtag winning. I think it was actually a full five years into uh, into Nixon's presidency before the Saturday night massacre. Uh, when uh, Nixon fired Attorney General Al Elliot Richardson and then uh, Deputy Attorney General William Ruckelshaus after they refused to fire Special Prosecutor Archibald Cox, who had succeeded in obtaining a court order for Nixon to produce the Oval Office tapes that contained direct evidence of Nixon's complicity in the cover-up of the Watergate scandal. Here's how PBS's Frontline summarized what happened that night. The events that followed became known as the Saturday Night Massacre. 
Good evening. The country tonight is in the midst of what may be the most serious constitutional crisis in its history. The president has fired the special Watergate prosecutor, Archibald Cox. Because of the president's action, the attorney general has resigned. Elliot Richardson has quit, saying he cannot carry out Mr. Nixon's instructions. Richardson's deputy, William Ruckelshaus, has been fired. Ruckelshaus refused in a moment of constitutional drama to obey a presidential order to fire the special Watergate prosecutor. And half an hour after the special Watergate prosecutor had been fired, agents of the FBI acting at the direction of the White House sealed off the offices of the special prosecutor, the offices of the attorney general, and the offices of the deputy attorney general. Six FBI agents present, impeding our operations right now. All of this adds up to a totally unprecedented situation, a grave and profound crisis in which the president has set himself against his own attorney general and the Department of Justice. Nothing like this has ever happened before. More than 50,000 telegrams poured in on Capitol Hill today. So many, Western Union was swamped. Most of them demanded impeaching Mr. Nixon. These come from Republicans and businessmen and people most of whom begin their statement by saying, I've supported the president, I've never believed in impeachment, but he's now gone too far and uh, we're going to have to, we want the Congress to take strong action. In my three district offices in the one Republican area, my phone calls were 100 to 1 in favor of pursuing the path of impeachment, which was rather shocking to me. On Tuesday, Nixon learned that 21 resolutions calling for his impeachment had been introduced on Capitol Hill. The Saturday Night Massacre from 1973. Uh, and so uh, Washington Post, which uh, was instrumental, as you may have heard, in the, uh, in the Watergate scandal, uh, they cover uh, the comparisons now that are being made uh, to the, uh, what they're now calling the Monday Night Massacre. Obviously, these are not the same thing. Obviously, what happened under uh, Nixon was very, very different. But the fact that we're even talking about this, that Nixon, it was five years into his presidency before this came about. And here we are not even 10 days, I think, into the uh, into the Trump presidency. And we're talking about this. This is just amazing. And with the White House criticizing the acting attorney general, saying that she had betrayed the Department of Justice by refusing to enforce what they described as a legal order designed to protect the citizens of the United States, what she described as a, possibly an unlawful order. And then you have uh, the acting director of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement uh, also demoted and replaced without explanation just minutes after. Uh, it, it's incredible. Uh, Senator, uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Charles Schumer used uh, the phrase Monday Night Massacre in a speech on the Senate floor. Congressman John Conyers tweeted that Trump had, quote, commenced on a course of action that is Nixonian in its design and execution. And by the end of the day, Monday Night Massacre even had its own Wikipedia page, Washington Post <laughs> <Already>? notes. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Now, they also note that uh, some say it's fair. Others say it's not fair. Carl Bernstein of uh, famously Woodward and Bernstein 
uh, saw this as uh, different than the uh, than the Watergate scandal that led to Nixon's resignation. He told CNN there was a big difference between what Trump and Nixon did. The Saturday Night Massacre was really about firing the attorney general when Nixon Nixon himself was the target of an investigation and was actively obstructing justice. What happened here is the president and his presidency is in chaos, said Bernstein. GQ's Jay Willis uh, said uh, saw clear parallels here. He said not since 1973 as a president of the United States forced an attorney general out of office under circumstances like these. And uh, news of uh, Cox's dismissal back in 1973 and the resignations of Richardson and Ruckelshaus emerged uh, that evening, triggered outrage and prompting for calls for Nixon's impeachment. Cox said that night of the dismissal, whether ours whether ours shall continue to be a government of laws and not of men is now for Congress and ultimately the American people to decide. Uh, and I think the uh, that decision is also uh, coming very quickly to Congress as well. John Dean, Nixon's former White House counsel, uh, tweeted the way the Trump presidency is beginning. It is safe to say it will end in calamity. It is almost a certainty. Even Republicans know this, says John Dean, Nixon's former White House counsel. Uh, who admitted to the existence of the uh, of the Watergate tapes. Congressman John Dingell, actually former Congressman now John Dingell, the I believe he's the longest serving member uh, of Congress ever. He's no longer in Congress, but he tweeted comparisons to Nixon's Saturday Night Massacre are a bit misguided in that Nixon at least had a general idea of what the hell he was doing. <laughs> Well, the speed with which all this is happening is 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 shocking, and it's quite alarming. Quite alarming, and yes, impossible to keep up with. But one of the things to consider about this is, you know, perhaps Trump kept all these people on so that he could then make a big show of firing them. You know, I just don't think he's that clever. Maybe that happened. I've seen people uh, suggest that was the case. Uh, I I don't think he's... Uh, he's just really the chaos president. This is how he operates. He and this is, is what they are unleashing across the country on our very, very sacred democratic institutions. This is the chaos presidency. There is no question about it. And the chaos presidency uh, continues here. And it's not just at... Uh, uh, at the Department of Justice, but there is also, as Intercept reports, uh, chaos, turmoil at the Department of Homeland Security and at the State Department. Uh, the Intercept reports that while Donald Trump's executive order on immigration left families wondering when they will see their loved ones again, drawing condemnation from leaders around the globe, the administration's action, actions have also impacted another group, career U.S. officials working on asylum and refugee cases, as well as foreign policy. There are people literally crying in the office here, said a senior U.S. immigration official speaking to The Intercept on condition of anonymity. Interviews and internal communications obtained by The Intercept reveal how American personnel tasked with aiding the planet's most vulnerable populations and representing the country in the international arena are learning bit by bit through emails and confounding directives how the jobs they signed up for are now being steadily eroded. Immigration official, uh, this immigration official said that uh, staffers at one Department of Homeland Security office 
were devastated when they arrived at work Monday morning to find an email circulated among DHS leadership over the weekend informing department personnel they would no longer be permitted to adjudicate any immigration claims from the seven countries that are targeted by Trump's travel ban, including petitions for asylum, personal residency, naturalization, citizenship. Effectively, immediately, uh, the grammatically, uh, the, the poor, uh, poorly written uh, email says, uh, and until additional guidance is received, you may not take final action on any petition or application where the applicant is a citizen or national of Syria, Iraq, Iran, Somalia, Yemen, Sudan, and Libya. According to the uh, email from Daniel M. Renault, Associate Director of Field Operations for DHS's Office of U.S. Citizen, uh, Citizenship and Immigration Services. Field offices may interview applicants for adjustment of status and other benefits according to current processing guidance and may process petitions and applications for individuals from these countries up to the point where a decision would be made. At that point, cases shall be placed on hold until further notice and will be shelved. Offices are not permitted to make any final decision on affected cases to include approval, denial, withdrawal, or revocation. Uh, we can't issue a final decision, said the senior immigration uh, official. It was a move that many within the government had feared, the official said, a so-called security hold that would essentially paralyze uh, the asylum and immigration process for those fleeing some of the world's most volatile places. Permission to work, adjust status to a citizen or permanent resident, any immigration form that they have will now stay in limbo, the official explained. We know what is coming. These cases will all likely be denied after significant waits. Uh, dozens of staff members at uh, another office, DHS's Refugee Asylum and International Operations Directorate, RAIO, which provides immigration and urgent humanitarian services to people fleeing oppression, persecution, or torture. Uh, dozens of staff members were slated to fly out to posts in the Middle East and North Africa this week, the immigration official told The Intercept, uh, but they were told to stand down as early as last week. It's not just uh, at uh, DHS, as we noted uh, yesterday, the, uh, the State Department, uh, the, the, the blog Lawfare published a draft version of uh, the dissent channel memo compiled by several officers within the State Department, blasting the Trump administration for endorsing a policy, quote, which closes our doors to over 200 million legitimate travelers, runs counter to core American values of non-discrimination, fair play, and extending a warm welcome to foreign visitors and immigrants. We are better than this. The State Department memo uh, pleads. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer uh, responded harshly to all of this, to the leaked memo from the State Department uh, during a press briefing. He said, I think that they should get with us, get with the program, or they can go. This is about the safety of America, and there's a reason a majority of Americans agree with the president. Well, funny thing about that, Sean Spicer, a majority of Americans do not, absolutely do not agree with this president. No matter how many times you present alternative facts in the White House briefing room, it just don't make it true. 
President uh, Trump's actions during his first week in office uh, have appeared to be aimed at the voters who already support him, but not at reaching out to the rest. And that has taken a rapid toll on his support, notes the L.A. Times. His support was already at historically low numbers, and we uh, we covered some of this yesterday. The uh, Gallup, uh, which has measured job approval for presidents for decades, shows Trump's approval now uh, so far at 45 percent, 45 percent approval with 48 percent disapproving. That's an average of several days of polling in this tracking poll on Saturday. Uh, the day after this uh, travel ban was executive order was issued, 51 percent of Americans disapproved of Trump's performance. So we already saw a bump towards disapproval uh, on on Saturday, and uh, that is a record for the speed of getting to majority disapproval. No, not approval, Mr. Spicer, disapproval. 51% of Americans on Saturday. Uh, that's a record. Uh, pollster Will Jordan notes um, that has never been reached that uh, that quickly to get majority disapproval from a Gallup poll. It took Ronald Reagan 727 days in office before a majority of Americans disapproved of him. Uh, Bush senior, uh, 1,336 days before a majority disapproved of him. Bill Clinton uh, was in office for 573 days before there was a majority disapproval from Gallup. Barack Obama waited 936 days, um, six months uh, into his second term in. Uh, oh no, that was uh, that was George W. Bush. Six months into his second term. Uh, but for Obama, 936 days. That was August of 2011. He was uh, he, he came into office in January of 2009. So 936 days for President Obama to reach majority disapproval from Gallup for Donald Trump. Eight days. Record speed. Eight days. He's number one. Yes, he is. He's he's the great. He's winning. He's winning. You know, and what's so Who's crazy? Who's going to win that contest? You know, what's so crazy about this is that they could have waited. They could have waited a little longer to, to sort of to start <laughs> demolishing everything. I mean, I know that they're trying to reach their base and appease their base, but by jumping in like this, you know, they brought it upon themselves. When asked what the mood was like on the inside of the State Department, uh, the official uh, told the Intercept in a word: chaos. And silence. He said today, he or she said today has been astonishingly silent. Uh, no National Security Council taskers, no communications. We're all in suspense and on hold and obviously fuming. This is a new era of American foreign policy that nobody I know ever really thought we'd usher in. Maybe they ought to have uh, listened to the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. We could have told them. Uh, and if you're waiting for uh, <laughs> don't expect Republicans in the meantime uh, to do anything about this. They're not going to stand up to this president. Uh, I know that some have thought that Republicans would somehow serve as a bulwark against uh, Donald Trump's worst impulses. They will, uh, you know, that they would somehow not allow him to, to get away with this stuff, but they have no intention of doing so. They have no intention of stopping him in any way, at least not right now. Remember when uh, Speaker Paul Ryan pretended that he had some concerns about Donald Trump? He was just pretending. He really doesn't. 
Uh, look what he said today. House Speaker Paul Ryan, according to AP, on Tuesday defended President Donald Trump's divisive executive order on refugee and immigration, arguing that while the rollout was bumpy, the policy is consistent with Republican principles. Quote, the president has a responsibility to the security of this country, Ryan told reporters after renewing his support for the temporary entry ban during a closed-door meeting with House GOP House members. He said, I think it's regrettable that there was some confusion on the rollout of this ban. But otherwise, Ryan told rank-and-file Republicans in that closed-door meeting before speak, speaking to reporters that he backed the decision to stop the U.S. refugee program and ban all entries from seven Muslim-majority nations. Ryan told the GOP that the, quote, rollout was a little bumpy, been a few potholes in the road, but the actual policy he agreed with, according to Republican Congressman Phil Rowe of Tennessee. Ryan apparently warned lawmakers to expect protests at their offices, Rowe said, but reminded them that the policy is in line with the legislation the House has strongly backed in the past. Another lawmaker, another Republican lawmaker, Dennis Ross of Florida, said the speaker's message was, quote, look, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. This is what we all campaigned on. We're looking at eight years of a legacy that we're essentially undoing. Chris Collins, Republican of New York, said the speaker was very out front uh, today, reminding our conference this is something we should be embracing. They are embracing it. So, no, if you're if you're waiting for the uh, the Republicans to do what they did with Richard Nixon, uh, this wait could be going on a, a while longer. Right now, the Republicans in the House are absolutely 100 percent behind everything that Donald Trump seems to be doing. There's been a little bit of pushback, a tiny bit from John McCain and Lindsey Graham over in the U.S. Senate, but not much at all. Not much at all. And if you're looking for, uh, well, if you're looking for uh, 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 Democrats to do something about it, you may be waiting a while there as well. Uh, although they are beginning to show a tiny glimmer of spine, a very tiny glimmer of spine. Get today. out your microscope. Yeah. Uh, but we need to encourage them. We need this to you true. need to call them. You need to pressure them. Uh, that's the only way that they're going to do anything is if Democrats actually uh, are forced to do something. Uh, education uh, nominee uh, Betsy DeVos uh, has been approved by a Senate committee. Um, she, uh, it, this was a, a party vote, however. Democrats in this case did try to stand up. She has um, the Senate committee has approved. DeVos, which is described, who is described by AP as a Republican donor and a uh, school choice advocate, what she's an advocate for is taking money out of the public school system and giving it to the private school systems. There were, however, two Republican senators who expressed some reservations in the committee about Betsy DeVos. After a heated debate Tuesday morning, senators on the Health, Education, Pension and Labor Committee voted 12 to 11 along partisan lines to support DeVos's nomination, sending it to the full Senate for action. But two prominent Republicans on the committee, Senators Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, are expressing their skepticism over DeVos. They say they are not yet sure whether they'll vote for her on the Senate floor. Murkowski says DeVos has yet to prove that she deeply cares about America's struggling schools and its children. Murkowski says the nominee has not yet earned her full support. Oh, they will. They will. They'll go for her. They'll vote for her. 
Uh, as to Democrats, uh, they did something in uh, in a U.S. Senate committee that I'm I'm actually quite uh, quite proud of them on. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with that uh, and more on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Well, we'll see. We'll see if... Uh, if Democrats back down, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. They always back down. Nonetheless, uh, today, Democrats blocked a planned Senate committee vote on Trump's pick, on Trump's picks, actually, two of them, uh, picks to be uh, health and treasury secretaries on Tuesday. And they did this by boycotting the session and demanding more information on the two nominees uh, and their past financial behavior. The extraordinary and abrupt postponement came as congressional Democrats uh, also used lengthy uh, speeches at a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting considering Senator Jeff Sessions as attorney general. In a hastily called briefing for reporters, AP says Democrats on the Senate Finance Committee said they would not attend the panel's planned votes until they could ask more questions about Congressman Tom Price, the health nominee, and Steve Mnuchin, Trump's Treasury Secretary selection, who they said had misled Congress about their backgrounds. The Democrats' actions prevented the finance panel from acting because under committee rules, 13 of its members, that would include at least one Democrat, must be present for votes. Orrin Hatch, the uh, the Republican from Utah, who's the chair of the uh, the finance committee, accused Democrats of a lack of desire to fulfill their constitutional responsibilities. I'm really disappointed that uh, my, f my friends on the other side, uh, our Democrats on the other side, are deliberately boycotting this uh, markup. Oh, are you disappointed? Why that's uh, an important thing for them, I'll never understand. Oh, you won't? Because these two nominees are going to go through regardless. Oh, I don't I remember us treating their their uh, nominees this way. Oh, really? Seriously? You don't remember that, Senator? You don't remember the nominee for uh, for the Supreme Court of the United States being held up by you for a year and then never voted, uh, never voted on? You don't remember the stolen Supreme Court that Donald Trump is about to nominate somebody for? Really, Senator Hatch? 
And I, at least I can't remember ever doing that. Oh, okay. Can't and uh, I'm really disappointed at uh, they're boycotting this, this uh, consideration of, of, of uh, Stephen Mnuchin to be the Secretary of Treasury and Representative Tom Price, one of the members of our Congress. Imagine that. To be Secretary of Health and Human Services. We ought to be proud of him. I'm very disappointed in this type of crap. I'm into my gosh. There's no excuse for it. I mean, this is the most pathetic thing I've seen in my whole time in the United States Senate. <laughs> I think they ought to stop posturing and acting like idiots. Wow. Stop holding uh, news conferences and come here and express yourself here and then vote one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Hatch does not really know what to do in that moment. Uh, can't remember uh, having blocked pretty much every one of Obama's nominations to the point where they had to do away with the filibuster in the U.S. Senate. Doesn't remember uh, stealing the Supreme Court over the past year. Doesn't rem remember back in 2013 when Democrats controlled the Senate. Republicans had boycotted a committee vote on Gina McCarthy to head the Environmental Protection Agency. That temporarily uh, stalled her nomination at the time. And of course, in this case, uh, you've got uh, Congressman Price uh, has been found to have received a special discounted offer to buy stock in biomedical in a biomedical company, which contradicts his testimony to Congress. Price also bought stocks of healthcare firms, accused him, uh, and he's being accused of insider information, using insider information that he received as a congressman in buying these healthcare stocks. Conflicts of interest for backing legislation that could help his investment. For Stephen Mnuchin, uh, apparently the, the Columbus Dispatch showed documents revealing that Mnuchin had not been truthful uh, with the Senate in the confirmation process in comments about how his Bank One uh, or his Bank One West had handled uh, home foreclosures. He initially did not uh, reveal that he had uh, $100 million in assets. He didn't tell the, uh, the Senate about that. So they're going to vote against both of them. But what they're trying to do now is hold up the vote entirely and good for them for doing so. We'll see how long it lasts. They've let Elaine Chao go through, which, who is uh, the wife of the uh, Republican Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. They let her go through today. For and Department of Transportation. For Department of Transportation. And uh, there were some others they let through. Uh, Senate uh, Rick Perry, who knows nothing about nuclear science in any way, shape, or form, didn't even know what the Energy Department did. Uh, but apparently he's been approved in the uh, Natural Resources Committee um, for energy secretary, at least in committee, by a 16 to 7 vote. That means some Democrats voted for him. Some Democrats apparently also voted for Congressman Ryan Zinke of Montana uh, to become the uh, uh, Department of Interior head. But they could hold up this nomination uh, in the committee uh, for these two guys, for Price and Mnuchin. Because a committee cannot move forward without them. Now, there are certain Senate procedural things that could be done. I had hoped to get into some of those weeds today, but I'm not going to be able to, unfortunately, uh, until maybe tomorrow's thrilling episode. Until then, Democrats, stay strong, man. Stay strong. 
uh, or I should say become strong. The American people are counting on you to save us, which means the American people are probably in big, big trouble. More on that uh, trouble on tomorrow's thrilling broadcast. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. But don't forget, we greatly appreciate your support at bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can find me, follow me, and share me on the Facebooks and the Twitters. You can also curse at me there if you like. Uh, on Facebook and Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. All right, we got to get out. Thanks, Des. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Oh,